Welcome to Everyday Driver, where cars are more than just transportation. They're freedom, a common ground, a way to grow, and can even make life better. We're here to help everyone find a car they love and discover all the ways cars connect us. I'm Todd. I'm Paul. And this is The Car Debate. Well, that was interesting. We just got off the phone with a Reuters journalist. Mm -hmm. She is a journalist for the automotive industry and tech sector in San Francisco and contacted us to talk about Waymo. Well, autonomous cars, Waymo, it was fascinating. And as you can probably imagine, it got a bit ranty. I think she was a little surprised. Well, it's hard to talk about one small area of the autonomous industry without bringing up Tesla. Yeah. And I dare everybody to talk about electric cars without bringing up Tesla. True. And in a good way, they have forced the entire automotive industry to pivot and shift focus and absolutely evaluate their entire company strategy, absolutely. which actually is a good thing. It's just some companies are starting to do it right. Other companies are still going, what, what's all this then? Well, yeah. The fact that autonomous cars and electric cars are even in the general public consciousness is entirely due to the success of Tesla. Indeed. Period. Indeed. And the fact that they gave away their patents early on and all that kind of stuff, they have wrenched the industry that direction. We just got done shooting those. I know we already talked about it, those those three mm-hmm. SUVs for season nine. So she <clears throat> she was supposed to talk to you. <laughs> because you've actually had experience at Waymo, oh, yes. and then you dragged me into it, and then it was all autonomous cars, and I think a half hour later, she was breathless. So we'll see what comes of that interview. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Well, thanks to her for contacting us yeah, it was uh, very cool. regardless, and we hope to be a, a go-to for car information and car rantiness. Speaking of electric cars, though, you probably saw that many more car manufacturers are introducing an electric car that kind of doesn't look like an electric car. Bring I don't it. know what we all thought electric cars should look like. Bring it. But the example here is the electrified Genesis G80, which mm-hmm. has a grill. Yes, it does. But proof that electric cars will continue to take on the proportion of internal combustion engine cars, yeah. including details, because it doesn't need a giant grill that isn't an intake. Well, it could look like anything. It and could. they made it look like their gasoline-powered ones as well, which look great. But that doesn't sell cars because if you've reinvented the proportions based on electric car technology, we could have some pretty wacky concepts driving around that doesn't really appeal and doesn't really keep me away from the yeah. elements and good for road trips and quiet and smooth and have, you know fit a lot of people in luggage and gear and all that kind of you stuff. You know what this suggests, and I like what this suggests. This suggests to me that we may have lineups of cars where internal combustion or electric is like choosing all-wheel drive or front-wheel drive. This is the model. Mm-hmm. Which way would you like it? Because sure. if you're a person who only commutes in a city and you can have a charger in your house, why not get the all-electric version? But if you're a person who drives regularly as a salesman cross-country on back roads, the electric version's not going to work for you. But <laughs> true, you want a, a Genesis G80, and so you decide, I need the electric one because I'm in the city. Oh, I need the gasoline one. I think we might be headed that way, which I would welcome. Here is a model, 911s. Sure. Here's a 911 with super twin turbo goodness or electric. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Pick your poison. I think we might be headed that way, and that would be great. To further laud the benefits of the 911, it is one of the only cars that doesn't need a grill because uh, of the inherent design. But what that also does to the non-knowing, non-car enthusiast general public is the disbelief, the that's not an electric car. It mm-hmm. looks like a normal car. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Good point. When we were shooting in Colorado, guy walked by eating a donut. Pfft. It's 
not a must Mustang. Mustang? Not a Mustang. <laughs> like, uh, indeed, sir, I know you didn't get a call, and we didn't either, but yes. indeed, that's that what That is called. what they called it. They called it a Mustang. Sorry. I, yep. You know, enjoy your donut, but I'm sorry. <laughs> enjoy your donut. Here's a Mustang. It's the Mustang. That's not a Mustang. <laughs> anyway, so I welcome that, as a matter of fact. The regular, normal-looking proportions of mm-hmm. how beautiful and cool-looking cars are. Yeah. Good news, everybody. That will continue. Genesis is proving that. That's very cool. Also, we've been doing other crazy things like uh, it's only a little more than a week away. We shot the craziness of taking two teenagers who were barely driving at all and trying to teach them to drive manual transmission in our cheap sports cars because the danger when you do this is, is the person going to wreck my car? Are they going to destroy the clutch? Right. So we brought the cheap cars anyway and just went, let's just try this. (laughs) Big thanks to Travis and his dad, Paul, from Wisconsin. They flew out just for this event. And I love that it was kind of a father-son thing. It was very cool. And listened to the podcast. So thanks to them. And also Sophie who is the daughter of one of our friends here in town from uh, from our coffee club. Yeah. And uh, Todd approached them and said, hey, you know, Sophie's 15, and so she had never driven before, and and uh, she's got a lear- learner's permit, but she had never driven a driven a little bit, so. and so we threw her into a manual transmission car and said, yeah. swim, but she did very well. It was actually, <laughs> It's actually a really cool piece. Lots of good coverage, lots of good discussion. We wanted to do something different than just let's show you how to drive manual, so yeah. putting them in there was very fun. Big, Obviously, big thanks to Auto Tempest and Power yes. Stop Brakes for sponsoring the Cheap Car Challenge. And it is continuing and we'll be driving the cars more in the future, but this one's going to be very different and very fun. We are pleased to semi-officially announce. We've been teasing. It's happening for real, yeah. One day they were open. (laughs) One day they were closed. The next day they were open. Not a soft open. We're doing it for real. Soft open. (laughs) Quoting Ocean's 11. Ocean's 12? One of the Ocean's moves. There were a lot of those. You know what I'm talking about. They all run together. (laughs) When they opened the sands, one day it was closed. The next day it was open. The end. It is the Texas Meetup. We're being scheduled for Memorial Day weekend 2021 in Austin, Texas. Mm-hmm. It is slated to be a Friday evening dinner somewhere and mm-hmm. a Saturday day-long event, yep. leaving Sunday as our travel home day and then, of course, Monday Memorial Day. So you can still have uh, a Some good of Memorial Day with your friends yeah, yeah. and family. We'd love to have you with us. I know that uh, we've been talking about going to Texas for a long time. We will be there for that. Details are forthcoming. Registration is forthcoming. Both of those are coming up soon. But we did want you guys to know we will be in Austin that weekend, Memorial Weekend. We're really proud to have Covercraft as a long-running TV and podcast sponsor. That's because Covercraft not only makes the best custom-fit car covers, but also has all the products you need to keep your car ready for car show and travel season. Products like seat covers and dash covers, sunscreens, and more, all custom-tailored for your vehicles and made with the quality and attention to detail that has been the standard for Covercraft since 1965. All of our cars are an investment from our personal fun cars and SUVs to our crazy cheap sports cars. Covercraft is focusing on protecting the car, SUV, truck, or boat that you love, too. Whatever cover or sunscreen you choose, remember to use the code EVERYDAY21 at checkout to receive a 10% discount and free shipping from Covercraft.com. You can follow the link from our sponsors page for high-quality covers that keep your vehicles protected and looking their best. Covercraft, protecting the things that move you. Got a great topic Tuesday here from Peter K, who has mm-hmm. been diagnosed with a bacteria infection, B-A-T, our friends that bring a trailer. Bring a trailer. Bat- bacteria yeah. infection. Mm-hmm. I don't know who would diagnose you, Peter. We're not sure, but this- we definitely... Understand. It's a real thing, and this might get ranty. I'm just, I'm just putting it, putting it out there. Yeah. I would like to preface this with my brother-in-law Daniel, mm. who is consistently sending me other Saab listings for sale, <laughs> and it's now affecting him because he sent me today a listing on Brand Trailer for a twenty thousand mile no. Saab nine hundred turbo. No. 
Seven days left, it's at 15.5. Because of bring a trailer. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Indeed, Peter says, what, what is bacteria? Bat- bring a trailer caucus. It's an infection that strikes people who have previously enjoyed cars for a variety of reasons. Canyon drives and daily drivers, shiny metal, freedom. These people have now developed feverish worries after learning about the world of too low mileage cars, pristine conditions selling at exorbitant prices. It is a thing. He says one becomes initially paralyzed by the realization that you're never going to be able to own a insert your favorite cool car here. Yeah. Will you always be regulated to cars or relegated to the cars that are less than 10 years old? They only sold a minimum of 50,000 units and it's got at least 50,000 miles on the clock. How can you ever see what a blank actually feels like to drive? Mm. Then comes comes the first signs of a fever, he says. He broke this down. Yeah, man, no, man. Okay, all right. How will I ever sell my sports car when it's been driven 10,000 miles a year and has paint chips? <laughs> okay. And how can you even think of selling it because it has an incomplete service history? That's just like, this is going on your permanent record. Absolutely. This car has an incomplete service what history. What were you thinking? Why don't you have all the receipts for this? Yeah. The why, st- why Why? would you possibly change anything? Why would you ever drive this? Don't What's know. going on? Why do you own it? Why are you yeah. here? Why are you talking to me? Mm-hmm. The second stage, he says, of nightly shivers and shakes quickly becomes unbearable. How will you ever get rid of this large anchor in your driveway? Who will think of looking at your car now that a wheel has kissed a curb once very gently? Who will believe that you actually did the maintenance, the mm-hmm. DIY maintenance? Mm-hmm. Actually touch your engine? No, nobody does that. Yeah, yeah. And now Peter is in the third and final stage of this illness. He only looks at his car. Why drive? Why would you drive it? Why? Why w- you can't drive that. <laughs> can't put any more miles. He says more like every week or every month driver. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter that it was or is fun to drive. It needs to be an object de art, a pristine, shiny, hermetically <laughs> sealed in the bubble. You've seen the tents and oh, advertised yeah. in the oh, yeah. Porsche Panorama magazine. Yes, I have. Park your car. In I've seen them other places, bowl. but yeah, it's absurd. It can only be driven more than 17 miles a year. Under 17 miles a year, have matching numbers, original documentation, complete service records, verified by Funk and Wagnalls, the dictionary people. (laughs) Preferably owned by Steve McQueen or some other famous person. Yeah. What's the cure, he asks. It's easy to repeat, and he does that at us. He says, Mm -hmm. you own the car, the car doesn't own you, but it's much harder to live the mantra like so many other mantras like exercise daily, drink enough water, don't eat fried foods, Mm -hmm. you know. Or does he accept the notion that he's going to sell his car only as a trade-in, losing 30% of the private party value? Wow, Peter. Peter, uh, this is a real thing. It is. This is a real thing. And it's many of you don't know this, but Bring a Trailer started around the same time we started. And we had a mutual friend who was sending us listings from it because he was kind of tangentially involved in the startup. And he was sending us links when it legitimately met its name. When these were cars that were unfinished projects in someone's garage or rusting in their garden, and you needed to bring a trailer to haul it away. Right. Now, you could find the next new pristine thing that might be awesome at Pebble Beach. You could find it in somebody's yard this way, but it wasn't what it's become. Now, bring a trailer is an amazing place for the most pristine example of that thing you didn't know was worth so much. And they've gotten to a place now where for the first few years, we were all watching, and you could send a lot of cars in now they get so much volume they're able to be so selective that a lot of people we've known with pristine cars have been turned away from bring a trailer because they don't they that car's not interesting enough so they're trying to find interesting 
They're trying to find the most pristine ones, so that only perpetuates the issue of everything that's on there is the hermetically sealed delivery mileage. Anything. Yes. And so you <laughs> Sob see these, anything. You see these fifty thousand dollar mid nineties civics and, you know, two hundred thousand dollar supras and why is ev- apparently, according to Bring a Trailer, every E thirty first gen M three is worth well into six figures. By the way, if you look anywhere else, they're not all worth that. There is a narrative running parallel to this discussion, mm-hmm. Peter. And that is electric cars. When Todd said when Bring a Trailer started the advent of real, genuine electric cars and also the mindset and thinking and fear that enthusiasts are experiencing that Ford is showing us mm. that enthusiast cars are no longer going to be available. Sure. It's electric SUVs from here on out, baby. Mm. That fear is pervasive in all of us. That didn't used to exist. That has exacerbated. You're right. You're absolutely and right. And so that running current, concurrent to yeah, this narrative over here mm-hmm. means – Get them while they're good. Yep. Get them while you can. Get it now. Get the good stuff before the good stuff no longer exists. Mm. Or it's going to be so high priced that mortals can't afford it. And we bemoan this fact because yeah. Yeah. it's a reality of the car industry. It's a reality of where things are going. Just like you heard us rant about Tesla, pushing everybody into that new area. Now, I'm all for autonomous driving. Because my dad has elected to no longer drive. This will give him, this would give him freedom. Sure, sure. It will free up people who aren't able to drive themselves anywhere and still want to enjoy the thing we all do. And that is, I want my machine to take me when I want mm-hmm. and just me and my stuff from point A to the point I'm going. I don't want to have to fly through. I don't want to have to connect through Denver, you know, Salt Lake. I just want to go from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. And it's just me and my stuff in a, you know, my private area. That is the big appeal of cars. Mm. And the fact that Tesla has done this to the industry for better or for worse, but it's changed every car manufacturer like Ford to rethink their entire lineup mm. and take away our precious Fiesta STs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Only in Europe. Yeah. And so what do we do about this? What Will the prices ever go back down? I would love to say that this entire bring a trailer effect is limited to a time period. Mm. But fortunately, what we're here to do is find those good alternatives and find the, okay, this exists, but how about the, the seconds, the thirds, yes. the fourths? If Bring a Trailer is, and they have become, the most pristine version, the thing is we all we all get the, the daily emails. And I'm including we at Everyday Driver. We get the daily emails. Yes. We've seen. Yes. But it's become the most pristine version ever and then all vetted by the community. If you would like to find True. if you would like to find the know-it-alls about the most obscure model ever, they're on bring a trailer and they are critiquing not only the car but the owner. True. And True. so uh, and I hate to say it this way, but the the folks that are probably too old to leave YouTube comments are on bring a trailer leaving snarky comments. <laughs> I think it's a difficult place for a owner to survive. Mm-hmm. But if you do, you can get a massive premium on your car if you were to sell it elsewhere. And I also think the thing that helps, because like traditional auctions, when we all sat in a room together, remember that? The other thing that happens is it does create a bit of auction fever. Very because true. this has it. If I don't get it by tomorrow, when the thing goes off in, in six hours, then I I can't get. I better get it. I better get it soon. Versus, it's posted. You found it on Auto Tempest. 
and it's been on there for a few months. And so if you don't send them an offer today or don't call them, it's not that big a deal. That auction ticking clock creates a must-do-it-now. Mm-hmm. I'm not convinced that all of these will suddenly be parked, Peter. I'm not convinced that every car you see on Bring a Trailer, and I'm actually scrolling through as we talk, that all of these cars will be bought and parked. If they've got the really low mileage, they will, though. That's the problem. <laughs> the delivery mileage ones that have never been driven Ooh, will never be driven. Like a year 2000 Lexus LS400 Platinum Series that looks brand new. Yeah, park that f- to save for future. No, <laughs> jump it or something. But I like that this is preserving and proliferating the car disease. I, I sure, like that I see part that. of it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And because I don't believe that all of these will be parked, that the other versions, it's almost like we should start an auction site called The Other Guys. <laughs> Everyone else has started an auction site in the I last know. calendar year. Apparently, we're behind, but we were supposed to get a memo. I think the memo got lost somewhere. <laughs> we were supposed to start one. Nobody told us. It's the automotive equivalent of the Mark Wahlberg, Will Ferrell film, The Other Guys. The, the, the seconds, the cast-offs, the almost there, the, and they're still really good kind of auction site. Maybe we should do that. The the other cars. It's going to be called bring a license. Don't bring a trailer. Just bring a license. Show up and drive it away. Yeah. And that is our entire goal because sure, the most pristine example of that S2000 is going to sell for a lot of money, Mm -hmm. but there's so many more that aren't pristine and have been driven and are cheap and they're still under 10 K. Well, and you can go out and drive them. Absolutely. You can drive them. And so by driving them, that only proliferates more cars being driven and more care and more companies to take care of parts to keep them running, which I like. Mm -hmm. I'm continually finding that, which is good. I mean, that's for now. But as much as I dislike it, I'm not of the mindset that this is going to screw us all. Well, the thing is, we get myopic about it, and we only look at bring a trailer, and we think that bring a trailer is the law for what these cars are worth. Mm -hmm. Bring a trailer is the law for what those of that quality are worth. They are now their own auction house. You go to Pebble Beach, and you go to Sotheby's or Gooding or whatever, and you see the most perfect version of that car you've only ever seen a photo of. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then it goes to auction, and it sells for crazy numbers with lots of commas and a bidding war. Yeah. But that's not reality. Bring a Trailer has left reality and gone to the place where they are the digital equivalent of that Monterey auction site. And so you can't believe you saw it. But the problem I think that's happening is we as enthusiasts have all gotten so conditioned to check, bring a trailer. I mean, it's a brand now. It is. That it's an action we verb. think that all of those cars like that are worth that, and they're not. And the, the flip side, the good news is you can find them elsewhere. I'll call it out. Cars and Bids and Rad for Sale mm-hmm. have got lots of stuff yep. that is the kind of thing you may be lusting at it, bring a trailer, and you can find it elsewhere. But just check your local Craigslist. Check Auto Trader, Auto Tempest. What's the place that you check for cars? You can probably find one of the things you're saying. Now, there is a weird thing going on right now okay. in the spring of 2021. Okay. And that is the weird COVID effect of supply chains being affected on new cars, which has driven used car prices up across the board. If you are shopping for a beat-down Civic, it is costing you more than it did a year ago. But that yes. bubble will change. That one yes. will come back down. I agree to that. Bring a trailer is going to stay high because it's the crazy nice ones. They're their own auction house now. Yeah, they just the, are. The COVID effect has done it to the point where we get comments on prior YouTube videos that were shot, you know, a year or two before. Yes. Of a cheap car challenge of anything, and people are going, 
you guys are out of your minds. These cars don't cost that kind of money. Like, well, then they did when yeah. we shot it. You're right. Absolutely. Yeah. But yes, I agree. That is going to come down. But take the Corvette ZR1, the C4 ZR1. Mm-hmm. I've seen pristine examples on Bring a Trailer, but they're also like, I found a beat down one for nine grand over here. So you're right. I'm comforted by that thought. Mm-hmm. And the there's more cars that are driven and not the pristine low miles kind of thing. It's given the impression that, that they're all that way and they're not all that way. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so we need to start con- you know, debunking this, continuing to debunk it with suggestions for cars. You want a, this pristine example? Well, you can get either the beat-down version of that or here's a second. Mm. Here's the other guys. Sure. I like that. DriveShare is the coolest online car-sharing platform around. It's simple. By connecting car owners with renters, DriveShare unlocks the joy of driving. That way, renters can find cars that bring out the awesome at every moment, and owners can earn extra cash to fund their passion. That's why I posted my car. To sign up, cruise over to driveshare.com or download their app for iOS or Android. That's driveshare.com. Connor M. in Houston, Texas writes to us. He wants to purchase a new-to-him fun car. Okay. He'll be turning 21 very soon, and he's been in love with cars ever since he learned to drive manual his senior year of high school. That's cool. like that. Well done, Connor. His first car was a 2011 Ford Escape, and since learning to drive manual... He's owned a 2007 Civic Si, which was plagued by reliability problems. Mm, Don't hear that often. Okay, good to know. A 2017 Mustang GT in manual, which was totaled due to a hydroplaning accident, resulting in him ping-ponging between concrete barriers on the highway. Yikes. And he currently owns a 2016 Mazda Miata in manual. But he says after a year of owning the Miata... He's come to the conclusion that it isn't the car for him. He's six foot two tall, six foot two inches tall, is fairly thin. It kills his back on any kind of road trip over an hour. Interesting. All right. And Todd, you're from Houston. You well, you grew up there. I wouldn't yeah. say you're from there necessarily, I, I but did you did grow up there, yes. Have some formative years. And there. um it is not a place for driving. For fun back roads, <laughs> this is not Houston. Not the comment all. about people's kitchens in Houston has still resonated. And with Dallas, me. yes. And Dallas, I guess. The people don't use their really high-end kitchens. They kitchens go out to are eat. awesome. They go out to eat. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I can't wrap my head around this. Uh, it's crazy. It is a thing. But but this is the thing. Houston's best curves are probably on-ramps. What? Because generally, it's flat. We have big freeways. The thing that always amazes me that I didn't realize just living in Texas, growing up there and being conditioned to it, is Texas builds crazy overpasses. Hmm. Most other places in the world, if you come to an to a intersection of two freeways, you have the clover leaf off, right? Yeah, and then and everything's fairly close to the ground. Everything's like maybe a story or one high, right? You know, yeah. that's about where it is. In Texas, fifty, sixty, eighty feet up, there's this big sweeping overpass that crosses this overpass and spaghetti's me. over that. Houston and Dallas loves this. Why? So that's the craziest driving that you get. This is why people buy their McLarens and they drive them when it gets a little bit cold. And guess what? The overpass froze and they hit the wall. That's why that happens in oh Texas. My so anyway, the point is you have a Miata mm-hmm. in a place that doesn't offer you any corners. And you've just gone, this is not really the car for me or this city. And I actually agree with you, Connor. Well, Connor loved his Mustang and it broke his heart to have it totaled. He misses the V8 sound, the power, and the road trip capability. Okay. He works a full-time job, so his budget is about twenty-nine or thirty thousand dollars, maybe thirty-one for the perfect car. Okay. Also, a Mustang Boss three hundred two has been one of his dream cars for a good while now, and he says he could he could get one for his budget, but he's also considering a newer S five fifty Mustang GT, even a brand new one. He found a couple for around thirty-one, thirty-two, somewhere in there. But oddly, 
he says he finds himself constantly intrigued by the Veloster N, which he could also buy new, mm-hmm. but he doesn't know if he could give up rear-wheel drive. He wants something with power and drama and good handling and a good exhaust note. He says Camaros do not interest him. He's not sure about Corvettes because he does a lot of driving to work in mm-hmm. other cities on mm-hmm. road trips. And he's absolutely terrified of German reliability. Interesting. Okay. He is willing to accept a less than stellar interior in exchange for performance and reliability, like a Boss 302. But is there a car that he is missing? Is is there a blind spot to where he's looking? And he wants ultimately to know our recommendations. I like this. I like this. Connor, I'm going to do a quick uh, uh, vet rant. I have to rant about vets. Okay. I have to do it. The thing is, you're talking about road trips to other cities. Corvettes do that really well. You're saying, yeah. I, you know, I do a lot of driving and yeah. I go and work in other cities on road trips. Yes. And the, the thing about a Corvette is you can get up into sixth gear, get almost 30 miles to the gallon. You get a surprising amount of stuff in the back hatch and you just cruise. Mm-hmm. They, you get one with Magna Ride. It is one of the best riding cars on the road. Forget the fact that it's a rear-wheel drive sports car for a minute. You would have V8, plenty of space, good amount of storage space. You could get good gas mileage when you aren't hooning it, which would probably be a lot. And you could have really great ride on the Magna Ride. You could drive all over Texas very happily in a Corvette. So if your reason to not consider a Corvette is because you're worried about road tripping, I think it does that more comfortably than any Mustang you would get. Hmm. The road trip part. Okay. Now, I understand okay. you might say, I don't like Corvettes. Okay, fine. Right. Corvettes aren't me. I get it, but don't take it out because you're worried about road tripping. That's my uh, that rant done. Okay, fair enough. Well, Connor, I'm kind of reading in between the lines. And ultimately, you say you want a Mustang. Mm-hmm. And the Mustang you had was taken from you. And we've yes. talked about this before. Mm-hmm. It was taken too early. Whether, you know, something happens to it like, you know, you're not in the car or you're in an accident, something like that. The car was ultimately taken from you. You loved it. You're not done with it yet. Mm-hmm. So you want another Mustang. And we're going to say, get another Mustang. Yeah. If ultimately that's what you want, Mm -hmm. great. But there's also a side of me today, (laughs) Uh maybe today only, I don't know, that all of you listening are going to say, who is this imposter with Todd on the podcast? Uh Where's Paul and what'd you do with him? Okay. Because this is more of a debate about our emotions. Mm. Your email indicates you want to spend all your money on your car. You're 21. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I'm terrified now. Connor should be too. (laughs) When we, the collective royal we, Mm -hmm. find a car we want, all reason is divorced from our minds. This is fairly true, yes. right out the window. Yeah. And believe me, insurance companies know about Mustangs and cars and coffee Saturday or Sunday morning. They're aware of the Mustang versus crowd phenomenon. They know this, and they price accordingly. You're 21, Mm. despite your driving record, but you did have an accident, and you're wanting another Mustang. Good point. Ah, That's that's a tough one. So therefore, will you be a slave to your car? Will you and your job be a slave Mm. to owning this new Mm. Mustang because it ain't the cost of the Mustang? It's that monthly insurance cost. It's you as an under-25-year-old driver. That's a good point. And if you take it to a Cars and Coffee, which they know you will, they're going to price accordingly. <laughs> they're going to stand. The insurance adjuster is going to stand there with a clipboard as you leave Cars and Coffee and make sure you got out right. Yeah. Believe me, police officers, whether they're into cars or not, they know more about cars than you think. They know more about the new models, what tech it has, how fast it can go, the specs, the engine power. Mm. And they might not care about wit about cars. They might be completely, who cares? Yeah. But they just kind of know because of they're around it all the time and mm. all this knowledge has seeped in. Now, I understand you weren't done with your Mustang yet. 
but what about a cheaper car? See, this is the part where everybody's like, who's this imposter? Yeah, you're right. We have gone with total left turn. $31,000 at age 21. I was lucky to be driving a Honda Accord. It was Mm. a really high mileage Accord EX. Had the 16-valve engine, though. I was really happy. (laughs) Yay, you! But, But I'm asking, what about a cheaper car? Because no part of you will regret putting money aside with a financial advisor or Anything, say, just saving money. You have gone remarkably mature today. You. I'm confused. Maybe it's today only. Maybe. All Maybe right. it's a special one-off. I don't know. But you, your 30-year-old self isn't going to look back in regret. Here's how that went. When I owned my 928, yeah. it was a 1988 car that I bought in 01 mm-hmm. when I was 27. And I could have turned around and plunked $10,000 down on Apple stock. Sure. I wouldn't have regretted that. True. Wouldn't have regretted that yeah. at all. Now, that car also taught me a lot about driving and cars. It became the genesis and foundation for everyday driver. Yes, it did. Along with your Z car. Major trajectory change there so for sure. Yeah. There are looking back, there are a lot of benefits to that. I learned mm-hmm. a lot about cars. It forced me to because people saw a nineteen thousand dollar Porsche, mm-hmm. which I thought was pretty cheap. Yeah, for sure it was. But people saw an eighty thousand dollar car rolling in and said, <laughs> With you driving it, yeah. My mortgage payment's done for the month. Mm-hmm. And so it forced me to learn how to work on a car and do you know just the basics myself. So I'm asking, what about a cheaper car? What if you put some money aside? What if you mm. didn't spend? But I'm also guessing that you're looking at $31,000 and just amortizing that over 62 or 84 months or whatever sure. yeah, yeah. and just the car payment. But what about a Z4? What about an 08 for 14.9 mm. or some other 3 Series or an M235i for the same money? He's in German land, though, but I do take your point. And the reason for that is to learn maintenance. Now, at Ooh, your age, more okay, than ever, right. will you be open to learning how to do it yourself mm. and having the ability and time to do it yourself? Mm. Because as you get older, maybe, there's plenty of us that do our own maintenance and prefer that and love yeah, it. Yeah. But there's also plenty of people that get older and more stuff happens in their life. They mm-hmm. just don't have to, the time or the energy or the desire to yeah, do that yeah. kind of thing. So now more than ever is that time in your life when what if you did learn and you bought a cheaper car and you were able to learn and spend a little bit more on maintenance and have a different kind of experience because, well, I say this tongue in cheek. I was going to say. You'll always be able to buy a Mustang. Yeah. But I say this. Unless. With treading carefully. Unless the one that he wants winds up on bring a trailer and prices (laughs) out. There's that problem. We're just connecting all the dots today. It's going to be great. I don't think you'll love the 86 based on its unfriendly road trip kind of characteristics. Well, and it's no V8. It's no V8. Yeah. But what about the 90s enthusiast cars? The older Z car, a Genesis Coupe, an MR2. Mm. How about a Mazda 3 Turbo? If you're going to spend that kind of money, mm, okay. totally different. I, I'm working towards the car that I have for you, though. Okay, good. I was thinking about a 2013 BMW 128i for also about 14, 15 grand, half the money you want to spend. Okay. What about our friends here in Salt Lake, Engine, Integrated Engineering? Mm-hmm. Pick a VW, they can do stuff too. They can make it snort fire, they yes. They can. On the other hand, you're never going to get your money back out of the parts, but it'll be an awesome car. Yep. The seconds, a GTI, an Audi TT. How about a Porsche 944 for 10K? Mm. There's a there's a huge community mm-hmm. around the Porsche you're 944. Right, you're right. Yeah, yeah. 10K, get you a pretty decent one. Got it. to do Cut stuff it to it, but yeah. But the car that I do think you should take a look at, you could tell me I'm nuts. And again, it might be in the theme of today only. Yeah. It, it seems like it. Yeah. <laughs> the cleanest Mazda RX-8 for 12.9 with 46,000 miles. It's an mm. 08 and it's a manual. 
Very fun. Very fun. Enjoy it. Learn some maintenance. Yeah, be or, good to that engine. Okay, go half. Get one for six or seven. Yikes. Yikes. Drive it till it dies, or maybe it doesn't. Gets down the block. <laughs> and you learn stuff about cars. You enjoy this new driving experience. Meanwhile, you're just still tucking your money away for that future Mustang. Hmm. You're just still tucking money away, and you're also saving some other money for your future, too. It's today only. One I'm time not only. sure where my co-host went today, but <laughs> there's some guy sitting over there, and he's supposed to be Paul, and I don't believe it. <laughs> Invasion of the Body Snatchers has happened here on Everyday Driver Podcast. Connor, um, since Paul decided to be mature, I'm going to not be mature. I'm going to balance out the world. It's going to be great. You would like a Mustang Boss 302, and I say, heck yeah, why not? Okay, now, granted, granted, Paul's, always drink water at the wrong time. Paul's made the point. What is your insurance going to be, man? That's the thing that worries you me the most. You had a wreck in a Mustang in the rain in Houston. I'm a little terrified that your, your insurance agent will say, insurance, oh, you want another Mustang, huh? I'm terrified uh, your insurance is going to be as much as the monthly payment on the car. I'm going to now put blinders on and ignore that, but I have, I have to agree with this Paul. This thing the graveyard, are we? Wow. Anyway, so Mustang 302, they are very cool, man. And you're right. They're, they're within your budget. I think you would really like that car. Please don't buy it expecting it to go up in value. Just, just buy it and enjoy it. You've said, could you alternatively just get a brand new Mustang instead of the 302? Uh, that's a judgment call for you, man. I, I really like the current Mustang a lot. With the independent rear and everything, it's yeah. it's really very impressive car. I don't know if that if how much it be improved over the one you had, but the three hundred twos they're very cool. They got a lot of good personality. I do like that. Please don't forget the Corvette road tripping V eight fun. Mm. Go get yourself a Cadillac CTSV. Oh, get an ATSV, which is now a V six, but still that's got a lot of power too. Magna ride. Talk about road tripping. That's just a saw across Texas bullet right there. True, but won't people say, when are you going to stop driving your dad's car and get your own car? Fine, but have you seen this I mean, I V8? like it. It's cool. It's cool. But then I had an idea that I don't often bring up on the podcast, but you're in Houston. You want V8. You want personality. I think it's perfect for you. Go get yourself as much Dodge Challenger as you can. Oh, my God. Don't, don't get a Hellcat. Don't. Ooh, yeah, just, don't, no. Just, I'm telling oh you, buddy. I, Connor, you want a Hellcat. I know you do. Don't, 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 don't. Because the insurance... The thought of that insurance horrifies me. <laughs> Wait till they're cheaper, Connor, then get one. But but the truth is, they've been making those cars with big V8s for a long time. Yeah, yeah. And the lesser V8 ones, guess what? Still lots of power. Yeah. yeah okay, yeah, yeah. so go get yourself a Challenger. Now, the big changes that happened with the Challenger has been very subtle exterior changes. There's been leaps and bounds in the interior. Yeah. So I would cross-reference... The ones you're finding that you like the engine with the ones you're finding that you like interior. And find the place where those two merge. Because my guess is you're going to go in a little bit smaller engine to get one that has an interior that you like. Because the interior has changed a lot over the life of that car. Those cars are genuinely fun. The V8s, even the base V8s and the base Hemis are excellent. They've got a lot of personality. The thing I wouldn't want to do with them is wind up on a small back road. You're in Houston. <laughs> Problem solved. <laughs> Okay, so I think right. your alternative to the, right. the Boss 302 is a really nice Dodge Challenger that fits in your budget and your needs, and road trip that guy. Today is backwards day, apparently. It is. Wow, I'm giving parental advice over here, and you're, you know. I'm just off the leash today. Cash completely. cannon over at your You better believe it, man. Hey, you're 21 with money. Let's spend it. Let's just do it. Money gun. <laughs> 
as always, there's tons and tons of questions. We could, uh, we've actually gone kind of fast in this podcast. Good thing, because man, the questions. Uh, I'm going to start with the Track Daily Crush. Oh, okay. I haven't done a lot of these in a while. Yeah. Kirk asked this question. $45,000 sedan edition. Kind of a hard one. Alfa Romeo Giulia Quadrifoglio. Nice. The Dodge Charger Hellcat. And the BMW M5. Track Daily oh. Crush. Uh, it, what what uh, generation are we assuming? The new M5, like the newest I, new. I'm new guessing new? so. I'm, well, no, forty five thousand dollars. Oh, it wouldn't okay. be the latest. It would okay. be, be back again. Okay. I think I'm tracking the Julia. That would be that would shine on track. The BMW might be really good on track though. It would be. It would be. But the the turn in of the Julia is awesome. It is. It is. And it has uh, it has an interior that I like, but for hanging out in a car, it's I I th- hmm. I think the Julia is the track car. I really do. Okay. Uh, I'm with you on that. Actually, I would. What would I do? Uh, I'm I'm a German car snob, so I'm driving the BMW. I can see it. I think if I could get a recent enough Charger Hellcat to have the current Dodge interior, it's like driving a living room quickly. It's comfortable. There's a lot of space in there. That there's a lot. Of, I, I remember when we had one here, and I was still commuting down to Salt Lake. I remember commuting back and forth to Salt Lake. I'm not kidding you. Never using more than 10% of throttle. And I was gunning people down. Yeah, that's it's. it's There's so much waiting in there that's impossible. I think just because where the Hellcat shines is that little, I've got three seconds right now to put my foot in it. Maybe I'll daily that and I'll I'll BMW M5 will get crushed. Mm, Like that. Question from Kirk Meyer asking me if we were to change or add a luxury material to cars, what materials do we think we could use to represent luxury? Right now, it's leather for seats, for luxury seats, and Alcantara for sport. Could a material like wool be able to be high-end or luxury enough? Luxurious wool seats. Yes. It's hard to say. I have Rich to say. Corinthian wool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Corinthian wool. Remember Ricardo Montalban? Bad. Remember him? Oh, it's all bad, yeah. The Lagonda concept used wool, and so did some Japanese luxury cars in the 80s or 90s. I think this is a fantastic time to really for car manufacturers to really look at materials and patterns. Mm. And the best places to do that are furniture. Mm. You can also look at the clothing industry for men's or women's clothing. You know, for the high end, you know, like the Italian suits, the Keaton brands, or Brioni, or things like that. You could really look at the different textiles they're using and the way they use wools. Mm. But I do think that textiles could make a comeback. As a matter of fact, we're starting to see them more and more on the interiors of cars. You're right. Yeah. A notable car is the new Escalade. Yeah. On the door panels is an unfamiliar material that yeah. isn't textured plastic seems like a non-car material yeah. it's almost it almost looks like a linen it isn't but it looks like a yeah. linen in the door panel which is really it seems like a weird choice but you look at it and kind of go that's kind of nice yeah and don't also, want to get a muddy footprint on it well, but it's kind of nice otherwise don't touch it yeah don't, <laughs> you can't use it, it but it looks great <laughs> the other is the wood pattern on that escalades instrument panel mm-hmm. and that is it's more like a uh, a parquet floor or, yeah. or just an inlaid floor, just you know, complex design. It's not just wood grain. Mercedes is doing incredible with that. They're open pore wood grain, yeah. and other car manufacturers are trying to jump on board with a cheap version of that to make it look that way. But if you start really doing some different patterns with woods and, like I said, other textiles, furniture is great. I, I like all that, polished metals. But then, Kirk, the, the ultimate thing is the honesty of the materials. Mm. When you touch a metal and it actually is polished aluminum mm. and it feels cold, wow, 
Well, that's different. That's when you get in an Aston Martin, that is the difference. You think, well, this is an actual die cast piece of something which, with screws in the back holding this it on. This is metal, and this piece is a different kind of metal, and this is actual leather. You, yeah, true, true, true. I mean, all those kinds of things. Look at, I mean, imagine yourself as an iPhone designer and struggling to differentiate mm. the materials and the mm. feel over just glass. <laughs> you know, what, it, what the materials. New version of the iPhone. Guess what? It's got a glass cover. Yeah. Seriously, Apple is doing some incredible stuff in their research in materials they haven't introduced yet, but it has to do with liquid metals and all this kind of stuff. And so maybe partnering for car companies. The Terminator to phone. That, it's going to melt and then it slide melts, across. It melts, reforms the, itself. And then knife you. Pops but, up yes. next to you in uh-huh. bed, terrifies uh-huh. you. The liquid metal iPhone. It's Answer coming. me. Yeah. Will Vin 80 on Instagram says, do the Recaro seats make a big difference in the Fiesta ST? He's just curious of the difference. Honestly, Will, it's been a long time since I've driven both of them. But what I remember is this. The Recaros on the Fiesta ST were actually pretty narrow. And so if you're a bigger guy, you'd probably be happier with the standard seats. The thing, I, the big thing I do remember about driving both is that I never felt like the non-Recaros were bad seats or I was mm-hmm. getting tossed mm-hmm. out of the seats or I was having trouble with those seats. The Recaros were more aggressive, and if you're smaller, you're going to fit in them better. So I don't know what kind of body type you're dealing with, but hopefully that helps. So good question here from Stuart P asking if we need help and ideas for teaching new drivers. Stuart is a driving instructor and his best advice is to talk to your student and find out what they know about driving. Don't assume they know anything. Mm. Be clear with directions and beforehand sit in the car and figure out how to explain the things you do without thinking. Think back through your habits and Mm. your muscle memory kinds of motions and explain that first. Stuart, that is excellent advice, and I'm glad you're doing that. And as you know, we just went through our own, you know, steps with Travis and Sophie shooting our Cheap Sports Car Challenge. Travis is 18, so he's been driving for for a couple years. And I had mentioned to him that his head is ahead of his feet Mm -hmm. because he's been driving. He knows how to handle the car. But and, And he's looked at so many YouTube videos and knows how a manual transmission works. How you're supposed to do it, yeah. His feet don't know yet. His mm-hmm. head did. Mm-hmm. Whereas on the other hand, Sophie's 15, has her learner's permit, yeah. and is just open to whatever. It's like, what do I do now? Yeah. So it was, in that it was case, great. It was really good. It is. I think it depends on the student, for sure. But for sure. definitely yep. being open, being clear about that. I, I, yeah, I, I just found it a lot of fun. There were things that, you know, not everything can be shown on camera that we have to talk through. But this is my thinking. I didn't want to overwhelm students. Todd and I could just sit there and talk and tell, <laughs> just do the mind download of everything we've driven over the years. Have you noticed? We could talk. Look out. But it's like, I'm no golf expert, but it, I don't want the student to say, well, if only you had just told me, all I have to do is hit that little white ball into the cup. <laughs> just it's got to be easy. Don't tell me to, you know, get my butt out and my hips and look down and don't look up while you're swinging and, you know, hold your shoulders straight and, you know, square up to the ball and, <laughs> All this, just tell me to hit this ball in that cup that is 250 yards away. The end. Let let me get it there. So I think we tried to do a balance of here's a bunch of knowledge. Now I'm going to shut up. Yeah. Now try it. See what now happens. Now try Just feel it first. Yeah. And now, okay, ask me your questions. At one point during this, I was thinking about taking the approach of Naoki, our drift school instructor. Oh, yeah. He was like he Yoda was, for cars. He yeah. was. He was just zen-like. Mm-hmm. Well, Naoki, okay, what's next? What should I do next? What do you think you should do next? <laughs> he answered everything with a question. Yeah, like, it was hysterical. So uh, I think my I brain do hurts this now. And this yeah. and, well, why don't you go do that and come back and tell me how it went? 
Oh, okay. All right. I, I think we would have terrified these <laughs> these poor kids if we'd done that, but we didn't do that. But it was very funny. <laughs> I didn't yes. want to just Zen master. What do you think you should do to operate this car? <laughs> I don't know. That's why I'm here. That didn't work. What should you try? I'm confused. Exactly. Charlie K N Y C says he is. Uh, he's the guy that agrees with us that we should get a pre-purchase inspection before purchasing a car. Now, mm-hmm. Paul and I preach this. We don't always practice it. We've bought some questionable cars the last couple of years. It's just like, yeah. sure, we'll just take that off your heads. But if, if you're buying with a credit card, sure, yeah. why, let's just throw it in at Vegas me. in a, a janky a, strip mall near the airport. A Phaeton coming from a very questionable dealer in Florida. Yeah, put that on a truck. Bring that to me. That's fine. So yeah, so there, there's times we certainly have broken it. And I bought cars that I've had for a while that didn't get a PPI. Yeah, there is a nice layer of personal insurance and just calm because I've also talked about this. Every car I've ever bought, forty eight hours later, I'm like wake in cold sweats, buyer's remorse. I just this happens to me. I don't know why. Even why if I that? think I did really, really well, I just wake up like I screwed myself. <laughs> I just so anyway. So the pre purchase inspection can help. It can help with your concern that did I do this right? And what have I bought? Is it a money pit? Does it have hidden things? However, he's selling a car. Mm. to somebody 800 miles away, and that guy's saying, no, I'm good. Don't need a pre-purchase inspection. I trust you. And Charlie's going, okay, I'm trying to be forthcoming. I'm trying to do the steps, man. And I'm being honest with him about the condition of this car, which is a little bit older car, but I'm not a mechanic. I don't know everything it might need, and I'm doing what I can, but how much responsibility should I take for the fact that he's not getting a pre-purchase inspection? Is it my problem, Charlie's asking, or is it his problem? Charlie... You are doing everything you can. You cannot require this person to do a pre-purchase inspection. They, everybody has their own, as Paul and I have proved with buying stupid Phaetons and Maseratis, everybody has their own level of comfort. Mm-hmm. If mm-hmm. this person is confident with the car you're selling them, I say embrace that. When you do the sale, get a bill of sale that has the verbiage in it that says being sold as is because that defends both parties a little bit. Just Covering the fact that you've you've discussed everything you know to be true about the car. But I'll give you a personal example. When I sold my Saab 92X, I told the guy everything I knew about it. I gave him all of my records. I, I, <laughs> what do you think I should tell you about the car? <laughs> what do you want to know? I shared everything I knew about the car. They were taking a road trip after they bought it, and he called me the second day in. Okay. And he said, I just had a check engine light come on, on the dash, and I happened to have an OBD reader with him. At the time, I didn't even own an OBD reader. <laughs> Click. What? And he, he plugged Static it in, and he said, it's, it's the, uh, the car had like 130,000 miles, and he said, it, it looks like it's the O2 sensors, which for the mileage makes sense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I told him the truth, which is, I've never seen that check engine light. Yes, the mileage probably says that the O2 sensors are going bad. I'm really sorry. Mm-hmm, I felt mm-hmm. genuinely bad about it, but I hadn't done anything inappropriate or anything other than straightforward with the guy. So, Charlie, do the as is, being sold as is, tell them what you can, and whatever their comfort level is, you just got to embrace it. Jared Rose 1 says, what sports cars have been cult classics or legends but are let down by their styling? Hmm. Besides most sobs, you mean? (laughs) (laughs) Your brother-in-law does not listen to this podcast, does he? I keep encouraging him to. Do you? Okay, well, all right. I I keep saying, hey, I feature you. I said, the world knows about you, Daniel, (laughs) and your sob love. He laughs it off. Well, Jared, the AMC Eagle is pretty much a a Subaru WRX, is it not? 
Now, that's an interesting point. Is it not? Uh, okay. Everybody I see where you went. Everybody loves WRXs. I see where you went. mod the heck out of them. But yeah, AMC right. Eagle's going over here like, am I nobody to you? I did this first. <laughs> I think the Porsche 914 is in that category. Oh, okay. All right. Fun, mid-engine, cool. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Gets overlooked. Let's just leave it there. Gets overlooked. Hey, the Lotus yeah. Europa is in that category. Yeah. Low slung, low at wins, yeah. you know, the limbo contests. Yeah, for sure. And... 70s call. Yeah, that's the 70s call. They're not even sure they want that car anymore. Yeah. (laughs) The biggest one that's on my mind, though, is the new Nissan Z car. Hmm. I hope it's not let down by its styling because I'm not in love with it. Yeah. I don't think it's pushed anything forward. I hope it drives well. I think it will, but it looks a little... I mean, everything we've seen looks a little unfinished up front. It looks unfinished, and doesn't it look like right now? It looks like it could have come out five years ago, almost 10 years ago, and been kind of like, okay, cool. Oh, interesting. Now what's next? I'm waiting for the next. I'm waiting... It doesn't look like next. It looks like now. It should Mm. look like next. Mm, Interesting point. J.R. Schultz said, uh, Savage Geese, our friends at Savage Geese, put out a video explaining the modern manual transmission is underdeveloped compared to automatics. Have we seen the video? Do we agree? I have seen it. It's phenomenal because those guys always do really good stuff. The big discussion here, and we've, and we've talked about it tangentially before, if you're going to have 5% of your market buy a manual transmission and you even decide you're going to offer one, think about how much of the budget of your large project is going to go to something that's only going to be sold to 5% of your buyers. Not much money. No. So as a result, you end up with a manual transmission that, oh, that one works. You end up with a great one. Okay? You end up with one that kind of works. Meanwhile, if most everybody's going to buy an automatic transmission, you're going to put a great one in there, and you're going to really spend R&D money fine-tuning it. That's absolutely an issue. Paul and I have run into this a few times. I'm not going to give spoiler alerts on which cars are coming, but on some test drives, we've had cars where we're just like, this is a bad manual. Mm Mm-hmm. This manual transmission is not pleasing. I wish I had the automatic. Mm-hmm. And not because we prefer automatics. I far prefer manual transmissions, but because yeah. this manual is poor. Yeah. So it's absolutely happening, and it has everything to do with, honestly, we are to blame. Because we say we like manuals and we don't buy them. And the manuals manu- are the end-all, be-all. They're the best. And manufacturers, manufacturers are going to spend money for what's going to go to the majority of the market. That's where the big money goes. Yeah, agreed. Amstan Leonard says, hold on. I hear you talk a lot about how we would want our teenage kids driving a two-seat manual so they're not tempted to bring the lot of their their friends, sure, friends equals distractions, in the car with them. His fiance brought up a good point. Wouldn't that just encourage a teenage driver to hop in their friend's five-seater? Now, that's a driver that you don't know or potentially trust. It's a good point, but the entire reason why teenagers want to drive, well, I guess I can only speak for myself... <laughs> It's control. I want to be in charge now. Mm. I want to stop being driven around by my parents and mm. by anybody else. Okay, I'll take sure I'll take a ride when necessary, but I want to do it now. Some states, and I think Utah's among them, have rules about the fact you can't have a passenger that is a friend. They have to be a family member if they're under 18 until That's you are point. 18. And every state varies, but there sure. are various states that have rules where new drivers are limited in the passengers they can even have. So you avoid that problem, at least until the mass market, how many people can we put in this Beatle College events? And that's a whole thing. You can't control that anyway. <laughs> Things that will never stop. Mm-hmm. Just like prom cars. We were out to dinner the other night mm-hmm. with Edgar and your yeah. family. And yeah, yeah. There was prom happening in Park City. Prom was happening, yes. And instantly... Well, besides your wife's critique of their clothing. Separate thing. 
we started talking about the cars we drove to prom. Yes. And Edgar said, my dad's 95 Corolla. <laughs> Woohoo! I couldn't really remember. I think it took my parents' Buick or something. But yeah, instantly everybody thinks prom and then you think cars because cars are so integral to that period of time in your life. Yes. I begged. I begged. I finally won. I begged and begged and begged for months leading up to prom to drive my dad's 1984 Fox body convertible Mustang no way. in red with white interior and white top because it was the coolest car within like 10 years on either side <laughs> that he happened to own. And so I begged oh to drive that car. Of course, it had a, a V8 in it, and I was thrilled to actually get to drive it. I look back, and I'm just like, that was the car I was begging to drive? Yeah, but that was then. That's yeah. what it represented to yeah, you. Yeah, for and sure. Prom and all those kinds of events – Guess what the first thing people say is the car they drove to that event right. in. That sticks out more than the actual dance or event. I had a guy in my high school that rented a panel truck with a manual transmission. For prom? For prom. <laughs> he and his date were thrilled. He wanted to do something completely off the wall. He would always wanted to drive an enormous truck. Okay. Big enough that when he pulled into the valet of the restaurant where we all had dinner, he wouldn't let the valet guy park it. Because the guy walked up and he was every bit as young as my friend, and my friend was like, "No, I'm uh, sorry." Uh. And we all sat in the restaurant, we listened to dee dee oh, dee while he was parking the you're thing. Of me. course, we did. It was absurd. Oh my gosh. Let's see. Oh, uh, Matt Garrett, eighty two, says, "What do we think are the main issues for kit car manufacturers like Factory Five to offer fun electric options? And do we think it will happen anytime soon? I think it's going to be actually the programming of the electronics mm. because." All the large car manufacturers have people on staff to be able to do all the electronics and make all the systems work properly. Now, if it's just a strip down the batteries, power, the electric motor, the end, that seems a lot easier. But if they're going to offer any other features like we're used to in Mm. real normal electric cars, I think there's going to be a gulf there. They're going to have to either hire that out or figure out something else to do. But there are actually uh, car companies retrofitting current cars mm-hmm. with electrics, but they're more of the analog, that Ferrari 308 from uh, Electric GT, you know, that kind of thing where they're just, all you have to do is just hook up 12-volt power to all the electrics like normal and then just make the, the motors powered by the batteries. Recently heard about Yamaha is developing kind of all-in-one, lack of a better way to put it, suitcase motors where it's the engine and the electronics and the drivetrain and the gearing. It's all in one yeah, box. Right. Yeah, right. And they're doing it at various levels for their motorcycles, but now they're starting to go bigger so where they're like 250, 300 horsepower and they're talking about you could put one of those at each wheel. I mean, or you could take something like that and retrofit it into your point, an older Ferrari, yeah. where you're talking about the same power those had originally, but now it's one electric motor. Somewhat simple. <laughs> or all four electric motors in that Ferrari with power it never was intended yeah. to have. T- tear the chassis in half at that point. That'd <laughs> yeah. be terrifying. Th- that could be the differentiator right there. If it's, if it's clearly a suitcase motor and it's an all-in-one plug-and-play kind of a thing. That would certainly simplify for this would. kind of scenario. Yeah. yeah. Harris Zatu says, what are some f- tips for photo- photographing cars? Photographing cars. Okay. Chance is awesome at this. You see a lot of our f- photography, and it's phenomenal, and that's because Chance is really good. But I'm going to give you the couple of basics mm-hmm. that get overlooked, and you want to think about these two things. First off, do not photograph cars at eye level. Most people are between five and six and a half feet tall. Don't show the world like that. Mm-hmm. Plus, cars don't look great at that low. As much as we walk up to cars that way, the way cars look better is down low. Get roughly the height of the mirror, the mm-hmm. side mirror. Get down low. That's the other thing. The other one I would say that's key, what's in the background? Yeah. 
And, and, and it may be pristine, but there's a soda cup in the corner. Move it. Look at the background. We call this set dressing. Yes. Because you forget about that. You just go, oh, that's great. I got to get a picture of that car. And look at the photo later. You're like, why? Why is there that weird bit of graffiti sticking out in the corner that looks terrible? Or why am I parked by a post? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Look at the background. Alec V asks, if we ever use professional detailing services besides mm. cleaning and treating your own cars, what are our thoughts on these services? He says, uh, I know the two of you view paint and interior care slightly differently. <laughs> Understatement of the podcast. Onward. <laughs> he was just wondering if we ever get out the big guns and what have you done if you choose to do so. And he says, Todd, I know you've hired a detailer mm-hmm. when selling a car. Absolutely. It isn't the worst idea in the world. It really kind of depends on your preciousness level and we're too good ends of the spectrum on that. That's well put, yes. Right? We're two different mm-hmm. schools of thought on that. Yes. I have not, I'll be honest. I actually, well, I take that back. I did with the um, with the expedition when I inherited it from my dad. Mm-hmm. I did have the interior thoroughly clean. It was just work I didn't want to do. I didn't have yeah. time to do. So yeah. I did have that interior. It was steam clean. All the carpets were clean, that kind of thing. So I, I did have that done. And they did the engine for me as well. So they spray, spray washed the engine and really kind of cleaned it up. And uh, that was in anticipation of potentially wrapping it a different color, but I still haven't done that yet. So I, I do that kind of stuff, but I, I prefer to do it myself. It's just a preference because I love doing it. So that's just my thing. And I am the opposite, Alec. I am of the mind where I do want to keep cars clean. I mean, in the case of my Lotus, I have to hand wash it. There is no other choice because, you know, it may have been made in England, but the top leaks. So you, you can't put pressure washers to it at all. So I, I, and I enjoy cleaning the Lotus. But any car I've had, I'm aware of the fact that this is not my skill set. And I'm not very good at it. And so we have a local detailer that we really like. Clayton's awesome. And every now and then I just want to take one of my cars and just it's it's like a spa day for the car. And yes, it's a little bit out of money out of my pocket, but I don't have to worry about it. I know it will come back far better than I ever could have. And so like every year or so, like my wife's car, I'll take it and get it detailed. And then she's thrilled. And then we'll keep it nice in between. But mm-hmm. I am all for it. Absolutely. Your wife does a really good, consistent job of keeping she things does. clean. But when you take Mine's it to a clean. detailer and say, make the Cayenne look nice, we all look at ourselves and go, we weren't doing that well at all. They've <laughs> yeah, got a well. gift for sure. Dem Patton says, not something you'd normally have an issue with. But he says, how do you deal with the sun when your eye line is above the roof of the car? <laughs> he's been driving NB Miata for a couple of months, and he's had this happen a few times during sunrises and sunsets. He said sunglasses only help so much given the angle. So sun over the top of over the, the, top, of the yeah. windshield because he's got the top down. Yes, it is part of that car ownership. I mm-hmm. hate to say there's not really anything you can do. Even slouching doesn't help because the sun's coming up, and you can't really do much. It's Wear just, a baseball cap. Baseball cap is best, but you got to keep that brim below the top of the headliner. Yes. Otherwise, whoosh, <laughs> and it's gone. Then you put a tether on it. There's a whole There's a whole list of things. Perfect. I'll give you the really crazy one. If you want to look closely, when we drove the Porsche 356 replica in our recent PCHP mm-hmm. in last mm-hmm. season, um, I was too tall for the car because of my weird torso. And I had a cap on, but I was really worried about losing that cap. Oh, and no. so I sat in the most uncomfortable crouch, slouch thing in that you car. Were? I slid way, way, because it was also the speed store. It had, so it had the short windshield. Yeah, so I just had my entire face in the wind the whole time. So I had to, I slid like like this weird arc of my my spine. I slid way <laughs> down in that car, and if you know how to look, you can actually see it's like Todd's 
really low in that car because I had to to get out of the wind and everything. Yeah, so it happens. I just put my hat down lower and tighter than, you know, so it's just right above my eyebrows. So that's where it was. And it worked for you for sure. Guys, thank you so much for all your questions. We really, really appreciate it. Continue writing, please. Your topic Tuesdays, your car debates and your car conclusions to us. We love that we're all thinking differently together. It's great. I really really do love that. And uh, yeah, love all the, the social media questions too. We're definitely looking forward to next time. Cheers, everyone. 